On this edition of the Discover the Word podcast. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Yeah, the words of a blessing that Marta Han calls a surprise in the wilderness. I think this is one of the most wonderful texts of scripture that has raised all kinds of questions in my mind, which I think can lead us together to some wonderful conclusions. And so where did this blessing come from and why is this ironic or priestly blessing tucked away in the Old Testament book of Numbers so significant, providing context for how the rest of the story of the Bible plays out? Well, pull a chair up to the table. Be part of a study called A Surprise in the Wilderness on the Discover the Word podcast. Great to have you here at the front end of a two-part podcast that I think you're going to find a fascinating and encouraging series of conversations we're calling A Surprise in the Wilderness. Now, Mark DeHaan is going to be leading this series with Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder and Daniel Ryan Day. And as always, Mark will pose and help us work through some of the perceptive questions we often have about sections of Scripture, but maybe never have the chance to ask or maybe are hesitant to ask for any number of reasons. But I think we'll find in the context of where these words of blessing were originally given, a great reminder of the graciousness and faithfulness of God that's so easy to lose sight of and forget or misunderstand in the circumstances and consequences of our lives. And I'm looking forward to talking about a surprise in the wilderness. Now, did the words of that blessing sound familiar to you? The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine down on you, and so on. Well, it's actually a common benediction in those churches that use benedictions. And so let's get started and pull our chairs up to the table with the rest of the group as Mart questions everyone about what they know about and what they have questions about concerning that time of a service when something called the benediction is given. What is a benediction? Ooh. It's a saying of good. And where does it show up? Usually at the end of a church service. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> Do you use them? On rare occasions, I've used them. Yeah, our church, everybody will stand up at the end, and a lot of people hold their hands out, palms up to receive. Yeah. And then the pastor says a blessing or something over that is supposed to be kind of God's words to them of encouragement or something that's going to okay. take with them throughout the week. Okay. Alisa, do you use Well, that? I was thinking of the term blessing. That's mm -hmm. what I would go with it. And our church doesn't really do doesn't that. Do we that. have a final prayer. Occasionally, that okay. prayer will take the form of a benediction. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, then I was kind of running down with a different assumption. I kind of assumed that in all of our churches, the pastor will, at the end of mm -hmm. the service, mm -hmm. offer this word of blessing Mm -hmm. to the congregation every week. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have um, different ones for different occasions, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or not to him who is able to do exceeding. And it's a statement to God on behalf of the congregation yeah. that ends up yeah. kind of feeling like that. Right. Now, the question I wanted to ask you, but I don't know if it's going to work because <laughs> it's not common, I guess, as much as I thought, but is it just a formality? Mm. Is it just something that's done at the end of a church service. Like a habit, almost. Yeah, like ritual. A, yeah, you kind of go through the motions, and this is kind of the way we wind down the surface, and we leave everyone with a good word at the end. 
I think it can be habitual yeah. that way. I think yeah. about, I grew up in a certain denomination where we sang the doxology every week after the offering was taken. My current church doesn't do that, but you can, if you're not paying attention, check out during those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So it could be a ritual that becomes yeah. a habit and you're not present in the yeah. same way. And yeah. so if we are just going through the motions, and if it is sort of a structured way of bringing our time together to a conclusion and leaving us with a good word, whether mm. we like the message or not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, then it's the question, does it really do anything other than make you feel good when you leave? And the reason I raise this is because there's a passage in the Old Testament. Actually, it's probably one of the most well-known benedictions in the ancient world, in the Jewish world, and also now in the, the Christian world mm-hmm. as well. It's in Numbers chapter 6. And I wonder if you turn there with me. Mm-hmm. It's a passage that I've heard used many, many times, but I don't know along the way. I just haven't heard much said about it. Hmm. And so I've been intrigued. I've wanted to know about this. And is it just a formality? In the Old Testament text, it comes out of nowhere. It comes mm-hmm. out of Numbers, a, a book which in the Jewish world, they just called it in the wilderness. It's a section of Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that describes Israel's experience in the wilderness. And in the middle of a time of law at Sinai, where Moses is getting not only the Ten Commandments, but a whole bunch of case law as well, in a time when the people are having some pretty frightening experiences. For one thing, they're camped at the base of Sinai. The top of Sinai is on fire, and there's smoke, and there's rumbling. And then there are bad things that happened at the foot of Sinai. There's this mm-hmm. idolatry that Aaron, you know, they're worshiping the golden calf, and a lot of people die. There's a lot of stuff that's happening. And yet, all of a sudden, in the middle of this, there's this benediction hmm. that shows up. And I think as we come to the end of these few verses, you'll see there's something there that kind of indicate it's not supposed to be just a formality, okay? It's a very short passage. I want to read from verses 22 to 27, and that's the whole of it. Okay. There's one verse of introduction, there's another verse of conclusion, and then there's this very brief good word. So why don't the three of you read through this, okay? So this is Numbers chapter 6, starting at verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Okay, familiar passage, right? Very. Common good word. And many of us probably didn't really realize this actually was in numbers. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. heard it so often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it comes up unexpectedly it's in the wilderness in this dry and barren place where a lot of amazing things are happening good and bad it's just kind of sandwiched in between a bunch of laws and then there's the dedication of the tabernacle this tent of worship and symbols that follows and immediately before this blessing there's this whole section of what we call the nazarite vow where if a a man or a woman wants to dedicate themselves to the lord it shows a prescribed way of working through that but i want to pick that up in one of our later conversations today i just want to look at this text and i want to look at the way it ends verse 27 okay daniel read that again so they shall put my name on the israelites and i will bless them and i will bless them okay now Think about this for a minute. What is Moses saying? He's saying, 
first of all, God entrusts to Moses this word of blessing, right? Yeah. What's Moses supposed to do with it? Well, he's instructing Aaron, and Aaron, who's the head of the priesthood, is to instruct his sons and the priests that follow that this blessing is to be how they speak of their God to the people of God. Right. And if they say these words, at least the what does God say? So in verse 27, we've got the, it starts with the word so, at least in my translation, the NIV. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of accomplishment. This yeah. is this purpose, what's going to happen. So they will put my name on the Israelites. The priests will. Bless yeah. Them. yeah. Uh-huh. And again, the last words. And I will bless them. God says, I will bless them. Mm-hmm. This is within the history, the story of Israel, right? And they're in the wilderness now. Mm-hmm. The question is in my mind, God promises that he will bless the nation, this community of tribal peoples if these words are spoken into their lives. It almost sounds like hocus pocus. It does. That's the point. Mm -hmm. So what is the danger then if part of the surprise is that it shows up in the wilderness, this barren place, Mm -hmm. doesn't seem very blessed at all in some ways. We'll look at other ways later. And it's also in the middle of law. Mm -hmm. And we know from scripture that Ah, there's a good side to law and there's a bad side. The New Testament yeah. tells us that no flesh, nobody is justified by law. Right. Is the danger of this that it almost implies that if these words are spoken over you, God will bless mm-hmm. you and everything will mm-hmm. be okay. Which is mm-hmm. what we really began our conversation with. You know, do we chant this at the end of a service right. and send each other out with that as a formulaic kind of expectation? Exactly. And think about the history of Israel. Does it just seem like the history of blessing? I would imagine that they hear this and they start thinking about what just happened out of Egypt because that's a big part of Israel's story, right? To keep coming back to, remember, I brought you out of Egypt. Remember, I brought you out of Egypt. And some of what you have already kind of talked about is they're going to get to this idol and they're going to claim that it brought them out of Egypt, right? So there is this form of blessing that's happened in that they're not enslaved anymore. They're free. They're free. Sort of. They are a blessed people. They're okay, blessed You're people. picking up on They okay. are a blessed okay. people. And you can track that back because really the question we're asking is, is this just a one-off? I mean, is this just kind of like <laughs> an exception to the rule of Scripture? Or is there a way in which this text actually fits the whole of the story of God's rescue from Genesis all the way through the New Testament? Well, when you first started talking about them being a blessed people, I was reminded of Abraham where he was blessed to be a blessing, where through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So the children of Abraham, the children of Israel, were both a blessed people, but they were to be a blessing people. Mm -hmm. Right. And in the process of being a blessed people and a blessing, a people who are good for the rest of the nations, the question is, how does God bless his people when we know that his people are going to have good times and bad times. And when they finally get to the promised land, they'll be there for a few hundred years and then they'll be exiled. Mm -hmm. And yet you can just imagine that the priests from generation to generation are praying these words, saying these words Mm -hmm. over the people. And the question is, is God really blessing them? Mm -hmm. If so, how? Mm -hmm. How? Mm -hmm. And I think there's some wonderful answers to that. But let's just in conclusion today, let's just read Mm -hmm. this together one more time, okay? Elisa, you begin. Numbers 6, 22, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, so they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. We're going to look together at how God actually does bless the nation of Israel and also us through these very words. Do you remember ever thinking, I'm living the dream? Or have you talked to someone, you know, who, who <laughs> just, just is like, me. usually living when I dream. hear people say it, they're being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. yes. You know, they just had the worst day of their life. Yeah, I'm just living the dream. Okay, but, but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but have you ever heard anyone say that, you know, and you really, they mean it. Yeah. It's like yeah. everything's going right. They're just, they're living the dream. Yeah. They can't believe the good things that have mm. happened to them. I remember one day I felt that way. Um, I was fishing with my uh, brother-in-law and my cousin, and we were in the Gulf of Mexico and just caught fish all day. Wow. I was tired at the end of the day from catching fish. That was living the dream. It felt that (laughs) way, didn't it? It did. (laughs) Most recently, my daughter-in-law said this to me. She said, I think every mom's dream is to have all of her kids at home playing games around a table. (laughs) We actually did that over certain holidays, and I did feel a little bit of that living the dream. They're rare moments, and they just kind of put up with me because this was my dream. And we remember them. Yes. But we realize that uh, there are broken dreams, and there's failed expectations, Mm -hmm. and Life is not turning out the way we thought it would, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost seems like the live in the dream moments where you go home with the whole car full of fish or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> At that moment is kind of what keeps you going through all of the moments where your yeah. dreams don't work out. Yeah. Question is, is it the rule? Is it the exception? You know, we're so thankful that we've had moments mm-hmm. that are wonderful. Mm-hmm. But most of us just have to admit that whatever good we find in life is found in the middle of experiences and lost relationships and failed expectations and broken dreams and some nightmares along the way. Mm-hmm. We haven't lost hope, have we? We still believe that there's a God who's in this with us. And uh, I want us to go back to this Aaronic blessing. Called the priestly blessing? Yeah, exactly. Because Aaron priest. was the Exactly, priest. Aaron the priest uh, of mm-hmm. Israel, yeah. Okay. Let's go back <laughs> to Numbers chapter 6, okay? And let's read this over again. And I want us to read it in all of our conversations together. I think this is one of the most wonderful texts of Scripture that has raised all kinds of questions in my mind, <laughs> which I think are leading and can lead us together to some wonderful conclusions. Mm. Let's see, Daniel, why don't you begin this time reading in uh, Numbers chapter 6, and uh, if you could read verse 22 to begin. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So shall they invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. Okay, let's imagine some uh, some underscoring, a music bed below this. <laughs> what does it sound like? I think it probably sounds a lot like strings and woodwinds. Mm-hmm. I think it's very soft, very gentle, very soothing. Yeah, it's gracious, isn't it? Yeah. Whenever I hear these words spoken, and I've heard them so often, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. She's like, this is great. Yeah, yeah. But it's given to Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. Mm. Yeah. Okay, now Daniel, in our last conversation, you pointed out that this wonderful rescue, the Exodus, had happened a few weeks before that. Where they yeah. were freed yeah. from slavery yeah. in Egypt. Yeah. In fact, I wondered if they heard that term blessing and they thought maybe of the 
kind of dancing and singing that they had done on the other side of the mm. Red Sea. Mm. Yeah. I bet at that moment, you know, we were talking about those living the dream moments. Right. I bet that's one that they're looking back on right now going, that yeah. was good. But the interesting thing about this is Numbers begins in the second year after the Exodus. They've been there a while. Yeah. And Mark, throughout the 400 plus years that they were in Egypt, there seems to be pretty good evidence that the majority of the people of Israel had given up on God. They had walked mm-hmm. away from God. And so the events at Sinai are not just about incorporating a nation or giving law. It's God reintroducing himself to his people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of that is the celebration at the Red Sea. Some of that is turning the impure water pure. Some of that is smoke and fire and earthquake. Yeah. And some of that is this. Yeah. And when you say this. The benediction. The benediction. Yeah. But it's in the middle of this post-Exodus rescue. Yeah. It's in the middle of a generation. All of them are going to die except two or three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not even going to see the promised land. In fact, almost immediately after the rescue, they ended up, well, let's take a look. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 16, a couple of books before Numbers. Okay. This is all part of the storyline. And one of the really interesting things I was reading recently, it was a Jewish professor of Old Testament who made some really interesting comments about Torah, the first five books. He said, you know, you can't read a law or a promise in these first five books and get it unless you understand where it fits in the Mm storyline. His point Mm -hmm. was that every event in the books of Moses Every event bears the weight of everything that precedes it. So you can't really understand this unless you go back to Genesis mm-hmm. 1 and follow that through the fall and through the lives of the patriarchs. And then finally you get to this point. Well, it makes so much sense with the entirety of the story of God that we call mm-hmm. the Bible. You know, right. We'll just pick out a verse and try and understand mm-hmm. it, but it's within the whole story exactly. that it makes it sense. So the whole idea of the blessing that we've just read, where did that start? Yeah, It started... In the garden. Yeah. A garden that was a place of blessing. Yeah. You know, this idea you're talking about, about having to have the backstory to understand the law, the same thing works with our amendments to the Constitution. Every single one of those amendments Mm. to the Constitution was because something happened. Mm. Mm -hmm. And unless you understand what happened, you don't understand the amendment. And you're saying the same thing about this. Yes. Yeah. This blessing, which is given now in the wilderness of Sinai, it tracks back into the history of Israel. And let's look at what happened just a short time after the great rescue. In Exodus chapter 16, Elisa, will you just read verses 1 through 4? Sure. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the actual month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert... The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. That's emphasis, Elisa, there. Okay. Then we sat around (laughs) pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for the day. Yeah. What a picture that is, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Just a, a few weeks after the rescue. Well, it fits how you said that in the 400 years, they'd lost sight of God. Mm-hmm. Generations had come to not believe in him. So the, quote, easy life, which is never easy, of slavery where your meals are provided and you don't yeah. have to worry. And don't we kind of do the same thing? You know, like they're looking back on slavery and going, oh, the good old days. Mm-hmm. 
which you know were not the yeah. good old days. The good old days right. never were. Right. But then we'll end up in situations where we end up in a job that isn't going the way that we want. And we think about a job that we had before that we were miserable in. Right. Yeah. But we look back and go, oh, the good old days. Yeah. And, you know, you hear the Israelites grumbling and complaining like we do, <laughs> uh, by the way. And instead of God coming to them and saying, okay, well, if you wanted to die in Egypt, I'll just leave you to die here. He doesn't do that. He responds to their grumbling with blessing. Blessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the question we're asking is this blessing, the ironic blessing, this priestly blessing, does it really fit the experience of the people of God? Does it really fit into our lives today? I think it depends on how we define it. You know, as we started out the conversation talking about living the life, if living the life is having everything we want on a fishing boat in the Gulf of Mexico, etc., my life doesn't match that. And mm-hmm. I think that sometimes this actual blessing is what we have allowed to mislead us, that it means prosperity, that it means favor, that it means earthly riches. When God's talking about something different than that, that may at times result in tangible values, but not necessarily. No, because when this was given, the people were in a wilderness, a frightening place, a place in which a whole generation would die. And yet, when you put this blessing within the context of the whole of Scripture, with the whole story of God from Genesis to the New Testament, you see that in reality, God isn't changing. God continues from generation to generation, from day to day, to be the same God that rescued his people from Israel, the same God that created all of life and blessed it, the same God who ultimately in one day will himself come into our experience, into our lives, and show us just how much he has always loved us, Mm. enough to sacrifice himself for our good. This is a story, really, of the whole of Scripture, but it takes, as we've been saying, a way of looking through a text like this and saying, how does it fit? And then saying, oh, it does fit. Mm -hmm. It really does enable us to live a dream that is the only kind of life worth living. Yeah, great reminder that God's blessing is on our lives. And one day we will see that more clearly, even if it doesn't necessarily feel like we're living the dream or living a blessed life today. This is the Discover the Word podcast, the small group Bible study with Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. Interesting study Mark has us going through called A Surprise in the Wilderness. And in the next segment, they're going to talk about promises, because promises are powerful things. We all know the positive feelings of a promise kept and the sting and hurt of a promise broken. And sometimes it adds to the betrayal when it seems like the person never intended to keep the promise that they made. When our study continues, uh, we're going to talk about promises, and specifically God's promises. Ever feel like God made a promise that he didn't keep? Do you think it's possible that God makes promises he never intends to keep? Well, that thought-provoking conversation, after we pause for a quick timeout. Now, as you may know, Discover the Word is an aspect of Our Daily Bread Ministries. It's actually one of the many ways the ministry invites you into Bible engagement. And so to go along with this study, I want to tell you about another effort that we've developed to encourage you to engage the Scriptures. It's an effort in which we're partnering with Bible geography expert Dr. Jack Beck. 
to explore the locations where the events we read about in the Bible took place, because location always matters. And as Jack says, there is geography, there is location information on basically every page of the Bible. As we're seeing, location has a lot to do with our understanding of the ironic blessing that took place in the wilderness is significant. And so right now we have a link to a video series called Along the Road on our website. In this seven episode video series, Dr. Jack Beck shares his extensive experience in biblical geography, providing key insights that will enhance your spiritual journey. Watch online when you click on the link at discovertheword.org or you can go to the Our Daily Bread YouTube channel and look for the Along the Road videos with Jack Beck. And now that conversation about promises and whether this surprise in the wilderness blessing is a promise that God is making. Is there ever a time to make promises that we know we can't keep? Or maybe even that we really don't intend to keep them? Well, I think about the parent whose child maybe has been in a, an accident and they're in critical condition and there's no way to know how it's going to turn out. But the parent keeps saying, hang in there, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. With all their heart, they're hoping that that's true, yeah. but mm-hmm. they can't guarantee it. Yeah. It's an offer of hope, maybe, which is different than a promise. Yeah. Well, I thought of being a dad as well mm. and was thinking of my daughter at night will sometimes be scared. And I'll say, it's okay. Daddy will take care of you. Right. And I know there are extremes in which I wouldn't be able to keep her safe. Mm-hmm. But what she needs to hear in that moment is, it's okay. Daddy's yeah. here. You'll be okay. You know, same kind of thing. And in that moment, what you know is that there's more to life than you can control. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But your heart is being expressed. Yeah. I mean, in those kinds of moments, I think you're grasping for straws. Mm-hmm. Anything that might help that person in that moment. And, you know, Mm-hmm. even though you can't guarantee mm-hmm. that that's the outcome. Right. Yeah. I think there are times when men or women enter into public service, they make certain commitments. Platform promises. Yeah, sure. They're very, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, then let's talk about wedding vows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're right. You're, that's the one I wanted to get to. What do we say when we stand before the pastor? What do we promise one another? More than we can deliver. And I know people do break certain vows. I mean, we can take to the the extreme of adultery and those kinds of things. But there's also the selfishness of the everyday of get your own cup of coffee. And that's not cherishing. That's not honoring. See, that's the point. There's a certain tone to our wedding vows. You know, we wish, we hope, we dream. Mm -hmm. But we know once we get into the everyday life of a marriage relationship or so many other kinds of relationships, we simply don't love in the way that we Mm -hmm. longed to and promised that we would. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of it too, in the scriptures, the people of God at different times, remember in moments of crisis, they promised that they would love God and keep all his commandments. Yeah. Remember yeah. that? <laughs> sure. Now, the question that I'd like to ask is, is it possible that God himself makes promises that he knows he can't keep because it all doesn't depend on him? Whoa. Okay, before we go too far, let's just go back to this ironic blessing that we've been looking at. Numbers chapter 6. This is the book of the wilderness. In fact, the Jewish people don't refer to it as the book of Numbers. They call it the book in the wilderness. Why it's, is it called the book of Numbers? Because early in Numbers and then later in what I'm calling Numbers, there's a census. The men in the tribes who are old enough to be part of the military to fight 
are numbered. And that happens early on, and then it happens later on. Okay. And so the Greek translators of the Bible noticed that relationship, that pattern. There's a census in the beginning. There's a census toward the end. We'll call it the book of Numbers. Oh. Okay? okay. But I think the Jewish description is better. It's in the wilderness. So that's the it's, real it's, title. It's, yes. Yeah, and and isn't it different. true, Mark, that in the Hebrew scriptures, they title the book after the first few words of the book. Mm-hmm. So we call it Genesis. They call it in the beginning. Yeah. You know, that kind right. of thing. Oh. Yes. Yeah. So let's look here at this blessing in the wilderness, okay? Bill, why don't you start reading just verses 20 through 27, and okay. let's take another look. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Okay, what is the promise? That he will bless them. That he will bless them. Within the words of this blessing, what does the promise imply? What will he give? Peace. And what? Grace. And what? He's going to keep watching out for them. Yeah. Now the question is, is it possible that God made a promise which was his heart, his desire? Mm-hmm. But in reality, he knew his people's experience of that promise would depend on choices that they had to make. Mm-hmm. So is this like someone's on a ledge and you offer them hope and help, but they have to come off the ledge to receive it? Is this like going into your mm-hmm. daughter's room at night and saying, Daddy's got this? They're in the wilderness, and God is holding out what they can have in him. It's a question, isn't it? Let's look at another passage. Look at Exodus chapter 23. Now, in Exodus, this is the storyline that Numbers, or in the wilderness, picks up on. Well, let's just look once at Exodus chapter 23. This is something that happens after Moses is given the Ten Commandments on Sinai. And, Elisa, what does verse 13 say? Be careful to do everything I've said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Okay. Bill, pick up at verse 20. Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I've prepared. Daniel, pick up at verse 21 and read through verse 25. Be attentive to him and listen to his voice. Do not rebel against him. For he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you listen attentively to his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. When my angel goes in front of you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods or worship them or follow their practices, but you shall utterly demolish them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall worship the Lord your God, and I will bless your bread and your water, and I will take your sickness away from among you. Okay. And none will miscarry or be barren in your land. Yeah. Okay, there's a huge promise there, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But the promise is conditional. Conditional. Where you're taking us, Mart, is maybe one of the most important subjects in our circles today because we try to make every promise of God unconditional. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's some that are not unconditional. God's grace is available, right? But sometimes 
we have to respond in a certain way in order to be eligible for that particular promise. What do you mean, though? I mean, you know, well, for instance, you grace know, is Proverbs a free chapter gift. three, five, and six: "In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path." Mm-hmm. We like the direct your path part. The all your ways acknowledging right. Him is a little iffy. Okay, so there's a wonderful promise here. It requires their obedience. Requires that they not turn aside to other gods, and He promises to bless them. How does that fit with the ironic blessing where God promises to bless his people if the priests of Israel will pray this blessing into their lives? Is it a contradiction? I don't think so. Could both be true? I think what I'm hearing is there's a blessing being offered and an expectation of a response. But could God's blessing Mm -hmm. to bless and to keep them, to turn his face toward them, and give them peace. Could that be true at the same time the other was true? Could there be an unconditional side Mm. and also a condition? Mm. Very, very good. Mm. And what would the unconditional, what would that apply to? I guess that's what I was meaning is that there is a way in which God constantly offers us his favor, his presence, his peace, but we need to respond to it and receive it. So if the priests read this blessing or spoke this blessing Mm -hmm. to the Israelites, would there be favor simply in the mentioning of the one true God to whom they belong, who is able to care for them? I mean, would that be a blessing in and of itself every Mm time it was spoken? Yeah, it is. But in addition to that, you had us reading in Exodus about the warnings about going after other gods. This was always said at the end of worship service. So the fact that they're coming to the place of worship, still acknowledging right. their God, means that at some level they still have not embraced the false gods. Exactly. And what is true of the one true God who rescued them from Egypt, the rest of the scriptures show he's a God of grace, he's a God of forgiveness, he's a God of love. He loves them, but not without lovingly allowing them to make their own choices, lovingly allowing them to either look to him and rely upon him and depend upon him in their failure Mm. or to turn aside. And that's really important because, as Elisa, you were pointing out, it sounds a lot like works otherwise. Yeah. Where we have to somehow earn the blessing of God. That's the only way to get it. We have to do the right things. We have to make sure that we keep a list of all the ways in order to keep God's blessing coming. So the question is, do we need to earn God's love? What's the answer? No. 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 Do we need to make choices that allow us and enable us to see how much he loves us and to experience Mm -hmm. the blessing that he's offered? What's the answer to that? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Okay, mediation. What comes to mind with the idea of mediation? Well, it's a higher level than counseling. You know, counseling is truly for the person. Mediation is trying to bring two people together to understand law or expectations, I think. Okay. See, I don't think so much of the word mediation, although I think it's a similar function. Mm -hmm. I think of arbitration. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think in the world of sports to where a player is uh, in a particular phase of their contract where they can appeal for more money, and the team offers what they want to offer. And if they don't agree, then an arbitrator comes in to settle the dispute. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned sports. I think of all the athletes that get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then the union goes to whoever the organization is, whatever the league is. And they 
argue back and forth to decide, well, how long is this person going to be disciplined for? Mm-hmm. And that's usually a form. But I think a mediator works with both sides. Yeah, and that's what the arbitrator does too. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the mediator, in my experience, is interpreting the law, but also really listening to the two sides and trying to come up with a solution where they can agree a compromise, if you will, or an understanding to bring them together. Okay, yeah. And how does that work within the court system? Well, for example, if you have birth parents who are struggling with custody or rights of their children after a divorce or maybe never having been married, often a mediator in family law helps the mom and the dad understand what's the best interest of the child and how to execute that. A lot of times when you join an organization or a company or whatever, there's something in there that's a clause that says, instead of going through the court system, Mm -hmm. we'll go before a mediator and resolve the matter that way. Okay, that's a good point. So it's actually different than going through a legal process, isn't it? I mean, Although through the, the court legal, system itself. the legal process usually has to validate yeah. the work of yeah. a mediator okay. for it yeah. to exist. But the benefit is what? Saving money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. that's well, part of it. But also the benefit is that when you go to binding arbitration with a neutral person, what you go in with is the expectation that you will be fairly heard. Mm-hmm. that your side will be properly weighed. Okay, so whether we're talking about arbitration or mediation, there's a person who will step forward between two mm-hmm. parties and attempt to try to resolve it mm-hmm. in a way that is agreeable to both sides, mm-hmm. right? To yeah. bring peace from a dispute. Right, rather than turning the case over to a judge mm-hmm. or to a jury yeah. and going through that whole process of legal proceedings. Mm-hmm. Okay. With that in mind, let's go back to our text in uh, Numbers chapter 6 to the Aaronic blessing. Aaronic, because Aaron was the father of the priests of Israel. So it's often called the priestly blessing. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. As we read through the blessing this time, look for any hint of mediation. Okay? Mm -hmm. Then let's talk about it together. Elisa, why don't you begin with verse 22 of Numbers chapter 6, and then we'll read through verse 27. Okay? Okay. The Lord said to Moses... Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Okay. Any hint of mediation? I think the whole blessing is a mediation, isn't it? I mean, it sounds like the priests are mediating between the people and God. Well, and it begins very clearly, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons. It's like a a responsibility that's entrusted. One of the first questions I had reading that was, why didn't the Lord just tell Aaron? Mm -hmm. But he tells Moses first to go tell Aaron. Why do you think he did that? Moses, especially up to this point in the story so far, has been that person that goes between God and Mm -hmm. the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. And we know him mostly as the lawgiver, Mm -hmm. right? So now the brother who is the lawgiver is told by God to give to his brother, who is going to be the head patriarch of the priesthood, to give these words to the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. How is the role of Aaron going to be different than Moses? Well, historically, the prophets were God's representatives to the people, and the priests were the people's representatives to God. Yeah. Mediation, mediation. Yeah. The perfect mediator would be the one who is both a prophet and a priest. That way, both sides get represented through the same person. Yeah. And just in a practical sense, 
Moses is the one on the mountain talking to God. So okay. Aaron isn't actually present there to okay. hear this either. So he mediates at that point. Now it's going to be turned over to Aaron, who's going to be the priest. And the prayer itself, would you call that a prayer mediation, this blessing? Well, Bill, you thought it might be. Well, it seems like it is because what the priests are doing is they are offering expectations of some kind on behalf of God to the people. That middle role seems to be in play in what they're saying. And so God tells basically the priest, you say this and I will bless the Mm -hmm. nation. Let's go a little deeper into this. Let's look together at uh, what happens in Exodus chapter 32. We're going to go back in the story now Mm -hmm. to a familiar story. The story of the golden calf. But let's just take a look at it with this whole idea of mediation in mind, okay? Mm-hmm. Elisa, would you read verses 11 and 12 of Exodus chapter 32? But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off of the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Okay, why was Moses so upset? Well, he was concerned that these people that had been entrusted to him were now just going to be judged and destroyed. Because um, of their disobedience. Yeah. And Daniel, what had they done? Yes. Yeah, so Moses took too long on the mountain. For them. Mm-hmm. For them. Mm-hmm. God and Moses weren't operating on their timetable. And mm-hmm. so they felt like things should be moving faster. And so they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, uh, we need to talk to God. And so Aaron says, okay, we'll bring all the gold that we got from Egypt, which if you remember when they were leaving Egypt, they were told to ask their slave masters for gold jewelry and things like that. And so they had brought all that out. So they throw it into a melting pot and Aaron creates this calf and then says, hey, here is the God that brought you out of Egypt. God's response was very angry. angry. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is that Moses hasn't seen what happened yet. Moses is still on the mountain and all he's seeing is God's anger and he intercedes on their behalf. But then when he goes down and says, <laughs> when he saw it, he was angry. Yep. Elisa, look what happens in chapter 32, verses 31 and 32. Okay. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, this is after he's been down and back up. Yeah. Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. And then he says in 32, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. What did he just say? Wow. <laughs> blot me out of the book you have written. What is Moses saying? What Moses is saying is, I would rather have them live even if it means for me to die. Yeah. So in this case, I think it's what you were alluding to earlier. In more than one way, Moses was acting as a mediator, wasn't Mm -hmm. he? He was an advocate, Mm -hmm. but he was also mediating between God. He was arguing for the people with God, and he was arguing for God with the people. Right. (laughs) So he was being prophet priest in that way. Yeah. Right. And yet I think looking back, we could say that he, even if he didn't realize it, he was expressing what God himself wanted, right? Yeah. He was actually resonating with the heart of God, even though he didn't realize it at mm-hmm. that point. This may derail us, but can I ask this question in verse 32? Is there any way in which Moses is saying, if you're not going to forgive them, then blot me out of the book you've written, then I don't want to be a part of you, God. I don't want to be a part of this story. Is there any way he's saying that? No, but some have interpreted yeah. it that way. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
So in light of what has been happening with Moses and now Aaron, can we see that this Aaronic blessing, the story of mediation in which God himself initiates, isn't just simply something that shows up out of nowhere. It's something that really is carrying forward the whole story of Scripture that brings us all the way to the New Testament. And where do we end up in the New Testament? (laughs) With this wonderful promise, this wonderful statement by the Apostle Paul, that there's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So there's a sense in which what we're seeing here way back in the Old Testament is actually going to move forward through Scripture, you know, into the New Testament, where God himself reveals himself in Christ as the mediator whose heart has always been to bless and to keep his people, to turn his face and his attention toward us, to be gracious to us, to lift up his face and to look at us and to give us peace. Yeah, Jesus is our mediator, our great high priest. And we see this surprise in the wilderness blessing from number six, echoing all the way to Jesus, the fulfillment of that blessing, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And so in the next part of this conversation, they want to come back to this and build on the questions we can have about the ironic blessing concerning favoritism. You could take it that God seems to love the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob more. They are his special people, and the rest of the people of the world are not. And so the entitlement of feeling that you have that favored status and the unsettled feeling of unfavored status with God. That's what the Discover the Word group will be talking about as they wrap up part one of this conversation about the surprise in the wilderness. You know, one of the questions that I'm guessing we've all considered over the years is whether or not, is it right, is it good to love yourself? You know, I don't know whether it's good or bad to love yourself. I think it's hard to love yourself. Mm -hmm. Whether it's good or bad or not, it's hard because you know yourself too well. Yeah, I always think of the great commandment and the one like it, to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself or as you love yourself. There's a lot of balance there, isn't there? Yeah, I feel like we tend to kind of emphasize the love your neighbor part and kind of get off the love yourself real quick. that's good. It really depends on what you mean by love, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whether or not we're loving ourselves at the expense of others Mm -hmm. or whether we're actually loving ourselves with the result that it makes us good for others. Mm -hmm. Or whether we're loving ourselves by letting God love us because that's a gesture of love back to him. Sure. And I think we can apply it to family, to church, to country as well. Mm -hmm. You know, in what sense could love of family not be? Well, anything can become an idol. Yeah. Self can become an idol. Family can become an idol. Country can become an idol. In what sense could country become an idol? Well, when you can become so nationalistic that you're not really being honest with what's happening or what has happened in history. Yeah, or when you lose respect for government, and, you know, Paul talks about respecting all those who are in authority, and uh, so sometimes we tend to go the opposite way, too. In what sense? Yeah, where we don't show respect, or we talk badly about those who are in authority. If we don't agree with them or feel like in some way they're going against what we do agree with. And I think it's okay to say, I don't agree with them, but I think the challenge is to respect and to pray for our leaders and all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways we can kind of fall off the wagon on this stuff. Yeah. And I think that in the text we've been looking at in these conversations, in the Aaronic prayer in Numbers chapter six, 
there's an element of self-interest and self-love mm. that I'd like to, to consider today. Is this sort of just an exception to the rule of Scripture, or is this a text which really is a part of the overall story of Scripture? Okay, so let's take a the look at The blessing again. itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the blessing okay. itself. Okay. So as we read today this Aaronic blessing again, let's try to imagine hearing it as a Jewish person or as someone from outside of Israel. Okay. You know, how would the two different groups probably hear this blessing, okay? One should begin reading with uh, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. Okay, who then has an interest in this blessing? The sons of Israel. The sons of Israel. Sons and daughters of Israel. So if you're a Jewish person, (laughs) you... It's great. It's great. Mm -hmm. It's all good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And if you are somebody from outside the borders of Israel, it is... Not so great. Or even if you're a foreigner living within the borders of Israel. Yeah. That might be even worse. Okay. Because you're even right there side by side and excluded, mm-hmm. feeling like you're it excluded. It feels very exclusive, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it feels partial. Very Can much. I just bring up something that screams and pops off the yeah. page and tell me it's for another conversation okay. if it is? The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, and you just said the sons of Israel. And it's this whole thing, and I know it is patriarchal, I understand that, but it seems extremely male. Yeah. So there is an exclusion even within it to some extent. Now, again, I may be derailing us, but can we speak to that just so we have a context of that understanding? Okay, the context would have to be the whole of Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the sons of Aaron would probably be males because that would be the priesthood, right? They're right. the ones who are to take this blessing to speak it into the lives of the people of Israel. My guess is the way even the Mosaic law works, daughters were also protected, Okay, even in laws mm-hmm. of uh, of inheritance. Sons was just a generic term. It's used specifically for sons of Aaron, but more generically for sons of Israel. Is that what you're saying? I am, but I think we have to acknowledge with, at least I think what you're sensing, women were really in the shadows in a patriarchal culture, Mm -hmm. without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Because without a husband, she had no inheritance, etc. So there is that reality. I just didn't want to gloss over it because we can tend to do that and forget. And so when we're talking about exclusion, there was some exclusion within the patriarchy of this culture. Oh, there was huge. And if it weren't for the New Testament Mm. and the way the blessing of God, the blessing of Christ is extended beyond male or female, Mm. Jew or Gentile, Mm -hmm. that's really where we get Mm. the richness of the heart of God. Back in a patriarchal, patrilineal, where the... the, Okay, what's patrilineal? Patrilineal means that the blessings, the wealth of the family would be passed down through the son and usually through the oldest son. Mm -hmm. So... The fact is, the whole Middle Eastern culture of ancient times, incredibly patriarchal, with the sense of the oldest male of the family Mm -hmm. being the one who is responsible for the wealth of the family, Mm -hmm. the legal protection of the family, the housing of the family. But the point here, I think we're saying is, if you're a Jewish person, this is a wonderful blessing. Mm -hmm. And as you indicate, if you're a Jewish male, it's probably even Even better. better, (laughs) (laughs) Let's think of the person then, not who is a part of the nation, as a Jewish descendant, the people on the outside, how did they look at the nation of Israel, this chosen people who were making their way out of Egypt, mm-hmm. across the wilderness, and then eventually, after a generation died in the wilderness, along the eastern side of the Jordan River and up toward 
the eastern boundary of Canaan. Is there anything in Scripture that would indicate how this blessed nation would have looked to you? story that comes to mind is we have Balak, the king of Moab, and he sees Israel coming through. They're camped in the plains of Moab across the Jordan from Jericho. On the east side, yeah. They're getting close. And it's interesting there because it's almost like you're given the idea, you're standing up on a hill and you're looking out at this Mm -hmm. huge horde of a moving family, you know, this moving up through your land. It's almost like locusts, almost Mm -hmm. like insects. They're going to eat us up. Because you could go to the beginning or the end of the book of Numbers, which we've been talking about, and see how many people we're talking about. I mean, it's, it's huge. It is a huge it's family. At least hundreds of thousands of <laughs> yeah. tribal peoples, yeah. And so Balak, he sees all of them coming. He feels very threatened. And so he decides to hire the services of Balaam, who you could probably think of as like a prophet, not a prophet of God, but a prophet. And he asked Balaam to come and to speak curses over Israel so that they can't come in and conquer Moab. And uh, that doesn't go so well. (laughs) We have this really funny story of Balaam trying to come and his donkey keeps stopping in the road. And finally, Balaam's eyes are open and he sees, okay, there's an angel there. That's why the donkey's not going. And the donkey even speaks to him at one point. But the whole point of this is that Balaam gets there and he sees the people of Israel and he's like, okay, I'll do what I can. And all he can do is bless them. He can't mm-hmm. curse them. Mm-hmm. And it happens numerous times where he tries to go through this process of cursing for Balak and instead he ends up blessing yeah. Israel. It's comical, yeah. Yeah. but it tells a real story, doesn't it? Going back to mm-hmm. when, how far back does this idea of blessing all and cursing go? All the way back to go? Abraham. Yeah, and what's... What I will we bless happened? them that bless you and curse them that curse you. The Lord says to Abraham. Yeah, mm-hmm. and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? What do we hear there? Well, we hear that the promise is bigger than just to the sons and daughters of Israel. The chosen people. Yeah. There's something for those who feel excluded in this moment. There's more to the story yet to come. So in this verse 27 in number 6, they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. There is something for the Israelites, but then through the Israelites for the world. And we don't get it from this text, but by going back to Abram. And then Isaac and Jacob, as you go from patriarch to patriarch, the same promise is given mm-hmm. through your seed, through your mm-hmm. descendant, I will bless mm-hmm. all the nations. Mm-hmm. And then keeps right on going right through the New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. It comes up into the New Testament and the assignment to the disciples to bring the good news of this long-awaited Jewish Messiah to all the nations of the world. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of the Bible, there's this fascinating chapter. Bill, in one of our previous Mm -hmm. conversations, you led us through it. Yeah, Psalm 67. And what was so interesting about that psalm? Well, what was so interesting is that it opens up with a paraphrase of this Aaronic blessing. And it starts off only instead of us saying, the Lord bless you and keep you, it says, Lord, bless us and keep us and make his face shine upon us. And then he turns it and says, so that the nations may know your ways and your salvation. And it's repeated throughout that song over mm. and over again. God's blessing was for the nation yeah. for the purpose of bringing blessing. Have you got that? For all, said? so that your ways may be known on the earth and your salvation among all the nations. Yeah. So it may have started out seeming exclusive, but it's incredibly, completely inclusive yeah. of all. Yeah. So again, you see how this text is woven into the whole story of the Bible which shows us that God's heart has always been to bless some for the blessing of all people eventually. 
that's an important concept to understand that God often blesses some for the good of all. He blesses so that they can be a blessing. You're listening to Discover the Word alongside Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And we are now at the halfway point in our series on this blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6, what we've been calling the surprise in the wilderness. But there is so much more on this topic to consider, so be sure to join Mart, Elisa, Bill, and Daniel for part two of this podcast. We'll talk about how your name is a window into your story, and it's the same with God's name. We'll talk about facial recognition and giving a blessing to our kids. Yeah, we've got lots to talk about in part two. Now, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, that challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Because here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, it is our goal to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And it's because of friends like you that the teaching on Discover the Word, the Our Daily Bread devotional, the Jack Beck videos that I mentioned earlier in this podcast, and actually a lot more are available to people in over 150 different countries. We have staff and volunteers working in offices in over 35 of those countries, distributing more than 60 million resources globally every year. And so I would invite you to partner with us financially. Simply go online to discovertheword.org. Look for the donate icon up at the top of the page. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.